You are welcome to the Nigerian Filmmaker, a podcast about Nigerian filmmakers, their films, and how we can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Selegot. On this episode, my guest is Oge Obasi. She has produced four feature films and a short, which include Ojuju, Old Town, Juju Stories, and Mami Water. In this first half, we talk about Juju Stories, producing films across different budgets and genres, and things holding no load back. If you're a new listener, you're welcome and I hope you enjoy. Hi, okay, you're welcome to the Niger Filmmaker. Thank you. Thank you, Sele. Yeah. So, can you introduce yourself? Ah, I thought you were going to introduce me. <laughs> no, I, I think it's always best for the guests to introduce themselves. They know what it's like, the data and all that. Okay. My name is Oge Obasi. I'm a, a producer, a Nigerian producer, um, currently based in Kotonou. Um, have uh, four feature films under my belt and a short film. I've been in the industry for, uh, I think, since 2007, thereabouts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I co-own a, a production company with my husband, CJ Abasi, called Fire Film Company, yeah. and 20 Pounds Production, um, with the mission and vision to take our local stories uh, global. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Yeah. How did you get started in filmmaking? Okay. I at first I started with music videos and then this some commercials and a bit of reality shows. Yeah. Before I got invited uh, to the first set, I worked on by Boss Ocean. Yeah. Um, it was Kunlea for Lions uh, feature film, The Figurine, in two thousand and nine. Yeah. So that was my first film set, and uh, I've not looked back since. Okay. And um, before you joined the industry, did you always have this um, dream of, you know, working in the industry, making films? How was that for you? Uh, no, I was actually um, learning motion graphics when I, I stumbled on production generally. Um, it was this set of... Um, Greenland by T.Y. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't. I wasn't looking into looking, being in production. I, I didn't know I could be in production, so to speak, uh, until that time. Okay. All right. So you have gone on to you know um, produce Old Town, Ojuju, Hello Rain, Juju Stories, and Mami Water. Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. Let's start from Otan and Ojuju. They were, I guess, close to zero-budget films. Yes, Ojuju was a zero-budget. Otan had a very tiny budget. Okay. What does zero-budget mean? <laughs> zero-budget means you pretty much don't have any money for the production um, at all. Any liquid cash uh, to go into the production. And then you're basically selling a dream to to people and you know they come together to make it happen yeah but there's no resources to get things that you need to make the film happen so those sides you work with what you are able to get how did those um productions go like 
I'm on set and all that, you know, having all these constraints. How was that experience? <laughs> okay, for Juju, you know, for me, it went well because, like I said, we didn't, we didn't have anything at all. Not like a fancy food, we didn't have anything. We literally didn't have anything. If our, product, if our location had required a lot of going back and forth transport-wise, we wouldn't have been able to make the film. The fact yeah. that we could walk to the production, like, the fact that the director could walk to the production was a huge plus. Yeah. Um, so a lot of things were positively surprising. For, for example, I didn't know how I was going to feed people, mm. but on uh, the day before the production, a, a welfare lady reached out to me and said that uh, she heard I had the production and, oh, I didn't call her. I said that's because there's no money. So the, the lady just decided to, to support and help. Uh, and we were able to sort her payment much later, several months down the line. Um, then there were issues like uh, people who loaned us equipment and then had cost, customers who wanted to rent and then they had to come pick up their equipment again in the middle of the shoot. Yeah, I had a friend who had uh, a rental business and had decided to partner with us for the production. And then he came in the middle of shoot to say he, his friends advised him against doing that. And so he would need cash payment. Okay. And that's how I pretty much got into my first <laughs> million naira debt. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so there were a whole lot of everyday new situation, new problem. And I basically told CJ that no matter what you see happening, just keep filming. You yeah. know, unless I come to tell you that there's a problem, I need your help. You just keep filming <laughs> because we've started, we must finish. Yeah. Uh, and so that's how it went down. There were a lot of uh, great guys and ladies that I couldn't have done it with because we literally didn't have anything to give them, not even transportation money at the time. And, and people stayed and did the work, you know. To yeah. the end of it, uh, I got my payment for October one as well, so that helped towards the end oh, okay. to do some few things. And after the shoots, because we were able to make the people in the community happy, you know, cruise things, not make money, so they weren't finding funny. You know, towards the end, they're like, "Why are these people that are just disturbing us and can't even do anything nice for uh -huh. us?" So uh, we now heard that they are really upset and had planned that. Um, when we finished, they would not because that that, that community had only one way in and out one narrow path from from the main road yeah so there was no other way to get in there or get out of there and so they had planned to you know come harass us the next day and that night was our last night but they didn't know that so what happened was when we finished I just begged everybody and everybody has to carry something uh. we need to leave here just once you can't go out and come back to pick something else yeah you know? And so everybody carried whatever they could carry and we pretty much snuck out of, <laughs> uh -huh. snuck out of the community at 3.30 a.m. until we got to the road and then we were like, okay, now we're safe here. We can stay till morning and then people go home from here. Yeah. So that's pretty much how we left. And then we got a lot of support from uh, Mr. Biodo Aleja. He's late now, fortunately. He died uh, last year. Yeah. So I went to him and I, I said, we're trying to make a film and we don't have equipment and we're trying to make it as good as we can and we don't have any money to give you. <laughs> and then he was very curious, asked questions and stuff. And then he had his equipment out on lease. So 
the things that were available in the office, you know, he said, okay, look at what's available, pick what you want. Mm. And he sent one of his boys with us. It was, it was like the biggest uh, support ever. Yeah. And so it just seemed like, uh, well, as soon as we uh, stepped up, because before we had been looking for investors and stuff, it seemed like the, the minute we put our foot out there, you know, um, things came together somehow. Yeah. It might not have been the most uh, convenient or comfortable, but it started and it finished. Yeah. Which is the important thing. Okay. So how was distribution for um, that film? Okay. So when we were making the film, before we made the film, we had OTAM already. But yeah. I didn't feel like it was the right project to launch a new team with, so to speak. So, and it would have been more costly because it had more logistics. Yeah. So I told CJ to come up with a simple contained story. And that's how um, Ojuju came. So uh, my plan then, because up until that time when I would seek investment and stuff, people would always ask, what has your director done before? Yeah. What have you guys done before as a team? And it was always the reason why, they, the reason they would give for not coming on board. And so my plan was to make the film and go to um, uh, the companies that represent different brands and all of that. So at the time, brands will always, will always, uh, you know, share things with the products. Maybe um, spoon with with detergent or something like that. Yeah. So in my mind, I was like, okay, they can also as well put uh, a DVD with the products because uh-huh. then DVDs were still somehow uh, in circulation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they could use this for a, a, a promotional, it could be a promotional tool for their film, for their products, because the film was also talking about hygiene and, yeah. you know, things like that. So I, when we finished the film, we went shopping, it was a whole lot of unreasonable feedback uh, and they just didn't see that potential. Oh. So it was while in the middle of that frustration that we submitted to ASFIF. But I just thought if I could, if I could, do this and they give us some money then I pay everybody and we're happy I wasn't looking to make profit as a priority I just yeah. wanted everyone to get paid um, and so we submitted to AFRIF and got in and uh, the jury at AFRIF was you know at that, that year they were still in Calabar at the time mm. was um, filled with you know uh, high level international jury members so it was a big deal to be selected at all. And I felt, I mean, this validation, right? Yeah. And then we got uh, nominated for the best Nigerian film category. Like, okay, even better now we can go home. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then we won the category. So it also went crazy after that because uh, these guys went back and, you know, the film community is a community out there. And yeah. we went back and said, we saw this little film, Zero Budget in Nigeria. You could tell that, yes, it was truly zero budget, but it had something special. And so from that day, every morning, we wake up to emails requesting a screener and all of that. And that's how uh, the film started traveling. Yeah. And basically, that was how doors started opening and our audience started growing and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, you've produced a gangster film, a zombie film, 
an adaptation of Afrofuturism and um, different different genres of um, projects. Like, how do you approach it as a producer? No, I feel like, I feel like uh, every project has its own unique issues, concerns, um, and everything else in in execution. Yeah. Like uh, for for Hello Rain, people had a problem with the fact that there was a lot of witchcraft in it. Yeah. Uh, we we ha- would have loved to make it a feature, but we couldn't get money for that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it was a very huge missed opportunity because uh, a feature at that point in time of that genre and with that look and with the source material that yeah. there was would have been a major, major, major hit, but no, it didn't work out. So we made it into a shot. Um, so yeah, Hello Rain had, I mean, few casts, so that was easy in that regard, but we're also uh, aiming for high, higher quality because there were some opportunities we missed before with Ojuju and, and Otan because of the low production value. Yeah. You know, you get through that door and you can't get through because you don't need quality control. So we had decided that we would avoid that situation moving forward it was a very painful one. <laughs> yeah. And so we had already we had a higher budget than you normally have for a short film. But at the same time, we had some things that didn't cost much. And then we filmed in Lagos, but a lot of the scenes were also done in the studio and then in, in the national theater. Yeah. So and even the market, those were the major, we didn't we didn't really run into the problems that um, you would run on the streets of Lagos pretty much because we're not on the regular streets of Lagos. So it was quite contained and we were sh- we shot for a few days. I think the major problem we had that also affected my budget was that every time we went to National Theatre, it would go from sunny to rainy yeah. every single time. And it would rain and rain and we would be able to film and we will go back and come again the next day. Yeah. And when we get there and set up, it will start to rain. It started looking very weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so even on the day we finally shot, it still rained that day, but um, the director decided to use the rain. It wasn't supposed to rain according to the script, but had to. And then because of equipment and all, it was we didn't want to risk it the previous day. So by the third time we were coming there and the rain was threatening, we had come prepared for the rain. Yeah. So that's how we finished the shoot. Yeah, but the approach was different. For Ojuju, it was pretty much me being a crazy person. And and I, I told CJ that, okay, we're shooting on so-so-so day. And he said, really? He didn't know we had X, Y, Z. And I said, oh, but he didn't ask me. And in uh-huh. truth, we didn't have it. We didn't have yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah. So it was then I was calling people to say, I want to shoot on Sunday. Alpha, look at my help. You know, um, and stuff like that. So for me, it's pretty much to get started. There's no production without challenges. And you just (laughs) prepare your mind for the worst, you know, so that when it comes, it doesn't, it doesn't shock you. It doesn't destabilize you. You have to be able to, to, um, compartmentalize otherwise you will emotionally break down and then everybody the whole production is hung because as a producer if you don't keep going on then who will keep going on you know you have to tell them it's fine let's keep going and you have you have to have the mental and physical strength 
to keep pulling forward. Yeah. Except, of course, in a situation where you have every single thing you need and every single penny uh-huh. you need. In that case, you might just launch <laughs> and cruise through the production. But for we that are trying to make, uh, we've been trying to make stuff that is not, you know, conventional to the yeah. money bringers. And so you know that you're, you have an uphill task. You shouldn't expect it to be easy at all. Uh, with um, Hello Rain, it was adapted from a short story. Like, how was your role on that, you know, supervising development and all? Okay, so it was adapted from a short story by Nadia Okorafo. At the time um, we approached her, she yeah. said she had heard about the director and his work, and she was she had been hoping a Nigerian director would adapt her work, and she was very happy it would be him. Yeah. And so um, it was quite easy, you know, because she, she sent up se- several stories to choose from. Yeah. And that's the approach. Uh, and it was very necessary for us that, that she be happy with the, the final outcome. Yeah. You know? um, so, I mean, there wasn't so much to do. Um, that was out of what was already in the source material. Yeah. Biggest challenge for me was the the director being able to communicate his vision to the crew, yeah. simply because it's not the kind of conversations they were ready they were used to having. Uh-huh. It was so bad we had to first of all do a three D uh, rendition of what some things were supposed to look like. Okay. Before everybody got into the ah okay, because there really wasn't so much reference, and all the reference looked weird. You know the way Afrofuturism just looks like. Are you okay? Who's going to yeah. wear this? Oh, who's going to? Maybe I'm making a mistake. Maybe I did not understand what this director said. He must not have meant something like this. Yeah. So there was a lot of that. So it took a while before people were like, okay, ah, I see. And because there were several symbolisms that the director put in the film, and again, those are not conversations uh, we are used to having for work purposes. So it it was like we had to have a mini film school before the shoot, you know, for people to feel comfortable and get into the space, mental space for the work. Um, Apart from that and money issues, it was a short shoot, so compared to all my other <laughs> productions, it was pretty much the easiest for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like films that you've produced have screened at numerous and prestigious festivals around the world. Um, yes. For you as a producer, what do you gain from um, the reach your films have? Like mm-hmm. the audiences it reaches, like what has been some of the benefits you've gotten from yeah, your movie traveling, your movies. Okay. Um, first of all, because when that between the rock and the hard place thing, where your film is not mainstream Nigerian film, and you don't know where else to go because if you can't screen at home, you know where do you go? Yeah. Uh, it was it was very exciting to have the whole world open up for us, um, give us the balance we needed and give us the freedom and the motivation to move ahead. Yeah. So um, being out there with my film amongst these people who take film like 
so seriously so so seriously like it's a whole thing um the art of it not even the, the here we talk a lot about the money of it but there they talk about the art of it before the money of it yeah you know and it was a whole education for me firstly and a whole confirmation and validation of things i felt should be and then as time went on uh I realized being a Nigerian filmmaker wasn't really an advantage because there's an already uh, existing perception of Nigerian films and Nigerian filmmakers, which got worse after TIFF of uh, 2015, that's Toronto yeah. International Film Festival, yeah. where we had the focus on uh, Nigeria. Yeah. So uh, you say you're a Nigerian filmmaker and you're talking about your project and what you want to do with the project and the person just, you literally see them disconnect from that conversation because they feel they already know what they should, they should expect to see. Uh-huh. They feel that they already know what the look of your film will be like and what the tone of your film will be like and they, they, they are not listening anymore. So, uh, I mean, at a point it was like about to, I have to show my film and say, hey, I'm so person. This is a trailer of my, my last project. Yeah. And then after they watch it, I'm like, wow, this is different. And then the conversation starts. And that's what I do all the time. Now I don't have to so much, but then that, that used to be it. And then um, the films got us, um, I think, experience yeah. in having these conversations with the international film community they they have serious conversations around film you need to know why you're making the film you're making and why you make the choices you make you know back home usually ask you how you're going to make money from this thing and that's it Hmm. um i've never really had to answer as to why anything any choice of projects but here they want to know why this project or why you have to believe in in the in the project that you have embarked on because it is believed that you chose out of the pool of many choices and there has to be a reason so you have to be able to articulate um and express yourself in these conversations and all of that i also grew very enlightened to how much business there was i mean it's not about the quantity you make but when you do make the kind of money talks that come on board is way higher than what goes on back home yeah. Even when it's, it's considered not a lot of money, it's way better than what we get um, in Nigeria when we say we need money. Oh. Um, I also saw how um, directors were treated. So you, like as a director, you need to know stuff. there's no shortcuts. I got to see why their industry grew the way it did. There, there was the huge money side of it, but there was also like a cultural respect for the art of film. Yeah. And then I got into labs, um, labs and, and workshop, and it was a whole thing. The, the, the conversation, the kind of people who would come to, to talk to us. And I, I met, I had other participants like in the lab, francophone filmmakers, and those guys don't joke. Yeah. <laughs> they don't joke, even, even at concept stage, they're not reading the scripts. They are just still in the, the early storyline. And I think the biggest thing for me was the, the, thought convers- the thoughts that go into this whole thing. Like yeah. the thoughts and the, and the 
personal experiences. It means that if you don't experience, you cannot, you cannot give. You really need to see a tree and experience that tree to be able to make that tree a subject matter in your conversation. If you get yeah. what I mean. Yeah. So it means that you have to see, hear, uh, feel. I think that's the word. Feel that feeling is something we don't talk about. I don't know if it's because <laughs> in Nigeria we're not brought up to okay, talk about our emotions so much or what, but yeah. you have to have that first. And you have to be able to communicate that first. You don't start talking about money. It's after all of that that you're not asked, so what's your budget like? Yeah. You know? So uh, it's almost like even bringing money into the conversation early is an insult to the art form. So huh. you don't. Yeah. So that was something very new for me, that whole um, education. And, and when I went into EIB, I won a scholarship to train under the European Audiovisual Entrepreneur Umbrella. It's the, it's the largest uh, network uh, of producers in Europe and yeah. respected globally. Getting there, I came on scholarship. But I realized every other person there paid to be there. Yeah. Good money. Paid their hotel bills. Paid their flight bills. And some mm. that had little kids brought the kids and um, maybe a family member in Nani or whatever. You know, and paid their bills. And it dawned on me that I couldn't bring my three-month-old baby because I could not afford to bring a Nani with me. I couldn't have even afforded to bring myself yeah. if I hadn't won the scholarship. And then I also realized that many of my colleagues back home cannot afford to bring themselves. Yeah. But we work very, very, very hard. We are always working. Sometimes we work three, four, five projects at the same time, right? But yeah. we cannot even do this basic stuff for ourselves because we don't have that kind of money. Huh. So that also got me so bothered. Like, okay, even when I listen to them, these guys don't work that much in terms of volume. But yeah. you can save towards something tangible that moves you ahead, that adds to your uh, your life, your work life, your knowledge, and all of that. And back home, we can't do that. So those were the things that uh, I mean, it was film that led me to all this, right? It was mm. film that exposed me. It wasn't because I came uh, from a privileged background or had lots of money to just fly around the world and find out for myself. It was. Yeah the work that opened the doors for me. So, um, and still opening. I mean, last year, I, I turned out like a couple of trips abroad. Who does that? Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. well, we've come that uh, far enough to be able to say, okay, I won't be able to travel. Like I'm exhausted from traveling uh -huh. and stuff like that. So, um, so yes, it's, it's, been, it's been great and insightful and frustrating as well because uh, I, I came back and I started doing producer workshop and I realized that I don't, they don't get it and there's only one way for them to get it and which is they have to leave home. Yeah. But how do you make that happen? I don't know. But they really, really need to. Like there's a, we, we, we think we're doing great, but we're not. We're shortchanging ourselves. Yeah. And I don't know how to bring that education and enlightenment because you can't do it one person at a time. It has to be so many people at a time yeah. so that they can break the barriers. It's not a one person's fight. 
but I really don't know how to go about that. Uh, still thinking on that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay. So yeah, like at this point, um, can you mention three random facts about yourself? Three random facts. facts yeah, but not many people know. <laughs> okay. Um, I will always love books about film. Yeah. When it comes to fiction. <laughs> okay. uh, musically, I'm stuck in the 90s. <laughs> and thirdly, uh, kids are the best. They don't have stress like the rest of you people. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about Juju stories. So, um, okay. You guys shot Juju stories and um, you, you guys did a lot of festivals and you're only able to secure um, distribution with um canal olympias like yes for theater yeah um mm-hmm. can you talk about that the journey from you know canal olympia to um film house okay um so mm-hmm. canal olympia uh I, they are in 12 uh, countries but do not have as uh, the nigerian cinema distribution does and uh, the nigerian cinemas are generally skeptical about distributing uh, such films yeah. Uh, so we kind of Olympia. I mean, reception was good. We had the for the Francophone countries, and they were you know, very receptive. The screenings we've had abroad, they're very, very, and very huge positive reception. And so right now it's a pressure because it's a let's see what happens. And if it does not do well, you people should not say that we don't used to give you people a chance to again uh, ever. Yeah. All you people that like to make this kind of <laughs> films, you know. Because the argument has always been that, okay, how do you know the audience will like it if you will not show the audience? Mm. How do you know that it won't sell if you don't put it out there? So it's like, now this has to be good. Even if it is not um, Omogeto and Wedding Party good, it has to be really good so that the next person coming with uh, a a film that is not mainstream type of uh, storytelling would also have be able to have that conversation you know it wouldn't just be a nope from the onset yeah because for them at the end of the day it's about the numbers and the business not the, the, they are not sentimental about the art form huh. uh, and that is what it is what it is for whatever reason so it's a lot of pressure for us and we're really hoping that the industry uh, helps and supports because we don't have the kind of budget that should go into promoting this film. So the only way for it to work is an organic type of push. Yeah. And we believe strongly that if we have a great opening weekend, then the rest of, of its word of mouth will do a very great job. Yeah. Because those who saw it during Africa really, really, really loved it. I have not had one bad uh, feedback about the film. Yeah. And the beauty of it being that we have three directors with three stories and three approaches to their, their own unique approach to storytelling, uh-huh. which makes sure there's something for everybody, you know, in, in the three films. So, uh, yeah, that's where we are. And we are grateful for the opportunity because really the industry needs uh, the alternative type of storytelling to shine through. Otherwise, we can't. We can't keep complaining if we keep seeing the same things. If we don't support the different one that comes, you yeah. understand. In order to open doors for variety in our in our space, 
and for the things that get onto Netflix and all of that, we keep complaining. It's the same thing, same actors, same everything. Yeah. So it's really, it's really important for the industry as a whole for this to be successful. So fingers crossed. Okay, yeah, fingers crossed. Can you talk about the importance of um, Nigeria developing its festival circuit? I, I really wish that you know Africa had been given all the support that it needs, um, that they didn't have to come to Lagos to adapt. Because I believe when they were in Calabar, there was a serenity that came with the festival that forced people to know each other, make uh, create bonds, and yeah. then learn. Like in that space, people put aside the competing and beefing and everything and just learn and just hope and share dreams. And I think that's what forges an industry together. Um, I don't think Lagos is the right energy for Africa. And I feel like, yes, even when we have something like Afrif, the the TV stations and other for, um, kinds of media should also support by buying or licensing the films that get selected at Afrif. There has yeah. to be something special for the films that get selected at our largest festival. Otherwise, it means nothing. Yeah. If you cannot translate to something, you know. So I think that's where maybe the guilds or the government need to come in and say you have to, you know, you're buying Spanish content, you're buying Mexican soap operas yeah. and all of this. So you also need to get this. It's not only uh, the ones you fund yourself or uh, the ones you have, you have a deal with for them to sponsor, you know. Or something like you just have to, they have to attend these festivals. They have to have stands at the festival. Yeah. They have to be present. And this is the Nigerian media space. And, and they have to also go into conversations with people from other countries that come here. They have to also go out. I mean, I went to a Durban Film Festival in South Africa. Yeah. Uh, and the only representation of Nigeria there was the Film and Video Census Board. And that was the oddest representation uh -huh. to be there. What happened to our NFC? Yeah. You know. And then the other stands there, you can stroll up to them and say, oh, what do you guys do? And they say, we are into... Uh, maybe animation, we are an animation studio and we're looking for, everybody's looking for collaboration. Uh. But we're there, we're not there, you know. So we're not anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> we literally don't have visibility anywhere, not represented as a whole industry. So I feel like Chomao Day has done so much for Africa getting to this point, but I feel like other people need to get with the program as well. Otherwise, mm -hmm. We're just running around in circle. We're not that money that everybody wants to make. You make it when your, your products are locally consumed and you can export. We've been buying Mexican soap opera since goodness knows when. But what are we selling out? Yeah. You know, and there's a whole world that knows about Nigerian film industry. But what are we making from it? How good are production value and, and how diverse are they? for us to make money. Why can't the, the media space see that they, they can license these things out there? They can make money, external money in from those, this thing, from those, I don't like seeing content, but you get what I mean? Yeah. So there's a whole lot they need to do 
to before we now start having multi they now we have multiple festivals yeah. but it's just filmmakers that come and enjoy the festivals and go and then the awards issued to the filmmakers but how does that help the filmmaker from point a to point b huh. how do they make a bigger better project next time how do they expand their markets how do they become more viable for investors yeah so it's not a one-person fight, a one-person job. It's where the guilds come in. It's where the the, the legislation of the government comes in. And uh. I don't know what our guilds are doing. It's like almost like they don't know. And I don't know what NFC is doing. Yeah. Have you ever been to NFC in the afternoon? No, no never. <laughs> you need to go. There's nothing happening, you know. You go to South Africa and every... We like call it uh, local government has an office yeah. for their film space. And they, are, they welcome you and show you around and tell you that come and make your film in a local government. We have this, we have this view, we have this, this. this. And so they show you around to their environment. Even if we don't do it on local government level, let's even have it at state government level. So that any state you want to film in, there's a, a, a film, there's a film commission office. That you go to and they introduce you to the producers and like okay this person has done this work this person this is the catalog of producers we have who do you want to work with and who do you want to meet and you know we have maybe a lake on this side we have hills and valleys on this side you know all the topography of the different states are different like that so those are the things that we can do but we're not doing, everybody's concentrated in Lagos and the touts are having a few day. People can film outside, you know, uh-huh. it's, it's just crazy. So those are the many ways that I feel like we can make things better and make the festivals better. The festivals cannot do everything without this kind of external um, contribution and collaboration. Yeah. I mean, there are films that are like 15 minutes, 10 minutes that you can use in between programming, you know, in between, in between uh, segments and stuff like that. It doesn't even have to be like a series of features. Let's even start with shots of a few minutes. Yeah. And then the filmmaker can pay their bills, pay their investors, and make another one. And that's how we go. Yeah. Okay, so can you talk about some of the things that are holding Oliver back? Yes, um, I mean, from my own lifetime, <laughs> the Nigerian film industry goes further back than that. Yeah. And we've we been making films, if I'm not mistaken, since the 60s or so. Yeah. And yes, I feel like Nollywood happened without plan. It just happened, right? People have been making uh, films on, on VCR before Living in Bondage became a hit. Yeah. So when it happened... There was no plan. There was no blueprint. But when it happened, could have been the start of one. But it didn't happen. And I should now we're like Nollywood 2.0 or 3.0. And we're still having that issue where yeah. there is no guideline or legislation. Everybody can. And so that's why we can complain that. This, but there's nobody saying, okay, you have to keep them in check. You complain that um, actors are unreliable 
Yeah. There's no guideline. Actors complain that producers don't pay well. There's no guideline. The crew, nobody even remembers the crew in all of the conversations. Because uh-huh. there's nothing. And there is a platform that we consider our big, you know, good thing. This, this is good for the industry. They'll be making money by whatever. But in actual sense, this, this guy's commission films and you as a producer you get the budget to make the film right and then you make the film and then you hand it over to these guys all the rights and all and producers don't know that you're supposed to be paid for the right for making that film your fee should not be budget film fee you understand they give you small money first of all less than five million to make the film and then in that five million you're supposed to do all the work that you do Uh and then you hand over the film to so you've made 20 films as a producer but you can't pay your rent there's a whole work, uh, job that happens before the production. There's a whole thing that happens after the production yeah. till delivery. But you're getting paid the little thing you're getting. So we don't even know that IP rights, that that intellectual property that you put into the film should be paid for before it can be owned yeah. completely, 100% by the platform. So you see there's a deficiency in knowledge. And even when you know who is going to hold that platform uh, accountable, who is going to say no? You can't do like this. Maybe the producer gets 10% of the budget as their fee or whatever, whatever, whatever it is. None of those conversations are happening. Everybody's just hustling to, to eat. Uh-huh. So this is the same industry we're telling that they should go get uh, knowledge, experience internationally. From where? From which money? Uh-huh. It's not ever going to happen. When Netflix came before the covid my fear was that we're going to end up having South African crew all the time, anytime yeah. there's a production. And then the Nigerian crew will always be the assistants. And, you know, you can't even complain because they are highly skilled. They are more skilled than we are. Yeah. So how do you bridge that gap? And if you say, okay, the South Africans should come for a while while we learn to work on that skill. When the time comes, who is going to enforce that plan? Who is going to say, okay, it's been enough time passed. We can now ease up on the foreign crew and increase the local crew. You know yeah. what happened with uh, uh, TV commercials and or when they were outsourcing it? Yeah. And they will spend so much more money there rather than spend the same amount here. And they will give you all kinds of reasons. So there has to be some intentional bridging of the gap. Now that we have all these other streamers, I also worry that our opportunity to, to make that big break is getting slimmer by the day because after these guys, then who next? And we are, get, we are so grateful for the kind of monies they are offering. And, and we don't know just how small those monies are compared to what they offer our colleagues out there. Yeah. We're just happy and grateful because we're poor. The industry is poor. So I feel like, I don't know if the current government is even interested in all of that. I feel like we lost an opportunity with the last government because when they asked, what do people need? We didn't say we want very, very strong anti-piracy laws so that we can still be exploiting our DVD market. Yeah. We, we didn't say we want strong IP laws so that it can be properly monetized even long after the owners are gone and it will be criminal to steal. We didn't say all that. We said we need more money to shoot. (laughs) Uh And they gave us money to shoot. 
And nobody's asking where are the films that were shot with these monies. You understand? So at some point, we need to hold ourselves accountable. Yeah. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. So I don't know. That, that whole thing is holding the industry back yeah. from the great potential it has. Yeah. Okay, so um, what's that one film or TV series that you absolutely love to rewatch? Nigerian or foreign? Anyone? Okay, Nigerian film will be Rattlesnake, the original. Yeah, but but I think um, Rattlesnake for me uh, is is one of those things that really added to my to me as a person. It really influenced me character wise, culture wise, humanity wise. You know, it's just one of those things that's so embedded in, in my subconscious that uh, that made a, a huge impression on me. And then for the foreign one, it would probably be the Robin Hood we watched in <laughs> the early nineties. Oh. That version of Robin Hood, yes. Okay, what about it? Um, I don't know if it was the first version, but that's the one I watched, and I think I really, 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 in the simplest form of it, loved the idea. Of stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Yeah. It was just a cool, very cool excuse, you know, to steal, very noble excuse uh-huh. for the trail. And then at the same time, you're doing something good. So you're not like selfishly stealing to go and make yourself happy and flex. Yeah. But you get to go through all the trails, commit the sin, do the bad thing, and then turn around and be noble and yeah. help the poor. Yeah. Okay kind of works for me yeah we have come to the end of this episode remember to rate and review the podcast you can also follow me on instagram twitter and facebook at selegal film and the podcast at the niger film pod to share your feedback you can now support the podcast by visiting the website to donate see you on the next episode have a good one